Changing the world of work isn't about tactics. It's not about meetings or metrics. It isn't about the benefits, perks, or opportunities. It's about being brave enough to put love first. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So as leaders, we're the ones who have to make it happen. This is the Love in Action Podcast. And here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, are you in for a treat today? Ken Blanchard and I got to have a conversation and you know, it felt like two old friends catching up at a coffee shop. I've been following Ken for over 20 years now and I consider him a true legend in the leadership and management space. Ken's impact as an author is far reaching. He has authored or co-authored over 60 books and his iconic classic back in 82 the One Minute Manager. It sold more than 13 million copies and it remains on bestseller lists to this day. Ken is also the co-founder and chief spiritual officer of the Ken Blanchard Companies, an international management training and consulting firm that he and his wife, Margie, began in 1979. So we start our conversation naturally with one of Ken's books, It's a customer service classic that came across my desk recently called The Simple Truths of Service. You know, Ken told me that customer service is an individual thing, meaning that, you know, you can have in all of your corporate statements and plaques on the walls how you value customer service. But if your people don't live it out daily, it's not really customer service. He unpacks some profound insights about what true servant leadership is and how to make that work for your organization. So as far as the topic of love in a leadership sense, there are few people on the planet qualified to answer the question. So I didn't hold back. I asked Ken, point blank, does love truly belong in business and the workplace? You'll love his answer. And then toward the end of the conversation, I asked Ken why so many leaders lead by fear instead of love and care. His response is going to surprise you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the one and only Dr. Ken Blanchard. So I want to dive right in. You've written many books and people are familiar with many of your books. In fact, there are so many of them that we would have to probably create 60 podcasts just to (laughs) cover the majority of them. But I want to focus on one that came across my desk recently. And it's not new. It was originally released in 2005 and then re-released again in 2017. And it has become a customer service classic. And of course, I'm talking about the simple truths of service. And if you're watching the podcast, there it is, the cover. Uh And you co-wrote this book with Barbara Glanz. Now, this is a short and sweet book, isn't it, Ken? I mean, I polished this pup less than 30 minutes. And the book starts out with the true story of a 19-year-old. His name is Johnny. Johnny is a bag boy at a grocery store. And Johnny has Down syndrome. And Johnny changes the culture of this grocery store and takes the customer experience to a whole new level by giving the customers more than they ever imagined or expected. So I want to start there. Well, you'll unpack that for us. What's the lesson that Johnny the Bagger teaches us? How does he do it? Well, Barbara Glanz was talking to this big grocery company, and they had all the frontline employees there. And she said to them, every one of you can make a difference for your customer. 
Now go home tonight and think about your job and how you can make a difference for a customer. And it's really true. Customer service is a individual thing. You know, you can have a big picture thing. We're into customer service and all. But if your people don't get it and don't live it, then it's not really customer service. And so Johnny went home that night and said to his dad that this woman spoke to us today and she said, every one of us can make a difference for our customers. How could I? He said, I'm just a bagger. And he and his dad thought and thought, finally came upon that Johnny loved sayings. And so dad suggested, well, why don't we take one of your favorite sayings and we'll run off, you know, a couple hundred copies of it and cut them out and you can sign each one and put them in a bag. And when uh, you bag somebody's grocery, you can also give them a copy of your saying for the day. And so Johnny started doing this and it just blew everybody's mind. And the manager called Barbara and said, Barbara, you won't believe what Johnny's done to the story. He said, I was up front, you know, by the cashiers the other day and everybody was in Johnny's line and I was trying to get him in another line and no, I'm not going to leave. I want to get Johnny's saying for the day. And he said, he's impacted everybody, the grocery guy. Now he's doing something special, you know, the butcher and all kinds of people. And so it really is a wonderful story about how every one of us can make a difference. And it's really so important that everybody get it. So let's expand on this. If you're in, in any kind of service business or, you know, in a customer facing role, is there a magic formula for creating what you call in your other book, raving fans? Is there a secret really that you can go out there and just, uh, you know, do that? Well, it's interesting. In raving fans, we have three secrets. The first one is to decide what kind of experience you want your customer to, to have. And that every person can do that. You know, like in our front desk, if you come into our main corporate headquarters, we have five buildings. The uh, people, receptionists and also answering the phone, they decided that they would be called directors of first impressions. And that was a decision that they made, you know. And so you have to make a decision about what you want to contribute to Zide. And then you also listen to customers to discover is there anything additional that they would like, you know, that would really, you know, make them even more happy? And we found out talking to customers, they love people to use their name. You know, they love to have a smiling face and they love to have somebody who's willing to talk to them about things that are non-related to their job, like their families and, and things like that. And so you can take that. And then the third secret is to deliver, you know, so you've decided and you've discovered now to deliver it, you know, in a way that, and a raving fan is a customer that's so delighted with the way you treat them that they want to brag about you. They become part of your sales force, you know, and, uh, you know, Johnny became part of the sales force. This one woman said to the manager, she said, I used to stop by here once a week. And now I stop by here every day because I want to get Johnny saying for, for the day, you know, and so it's, uh, it was really amazing. So let's talk about the style of the book. Like so many of your books, Ken, it's so full of real life stories. Why is storytelling so central to the way Ken Blanchard teaches? Well, you know, my father was uh, retired as an admiral in the Navy, and uh, he was a great guy. They had MMC, all kinds of Navy things and all. And he said to me when I was young, and I was running for the president of the seventh grade and junior high, he said, Ken, what you got to do is 
make a point and tell a story. Make a point, tell a story. He said, the boring speakers, they just keep making one point, another point, another point. They put everybody to sleep, you know. And so I'll never forget, I stand up, you know, to be running for the president of seventh grade. And, and they gave me a nice hand when I got up. And I said to them, as the cow said to the farmer when the milking machine broke down, thanks for that warm hand. <laughs> <laughs> The band teacher in the front row just about fell off because they didn't expect a little seventh grader to come up with a story like that. But uh, And when I got into a little bit into my faith in my 40s, I started to realize, you know, who was the greatest storyteller of all time was, was Jesus. You know, they'd ask him yeah. a question. He'd say, let me tell you a story. And I think people learn from stories much more than they do just keep on giving them concepts. Mm. Fascinating. So speaking of stories, I mean, the simple truth of service is chock full of stories. Do you have one that just kind of stands out for you besides the Johnny the Bagger story? Is there one that really pops up for you? Well, the one that everybody always enjoys me telling because I talk about the difference between ducks and eagles, you know, and you can always tell an organization that uh, is in the customer service and one that's not. And one that's not, if you're talking to a frontline employee because you got a problem, you're talking to a duck. They go, quack, quack, it's our policy, quack, quack, I just work here, quack, quack, I didn't make the freaking rules, quack, quack, do you want to talk to my supervisor, quack, 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 quack. Where if you're at a company that's into customer service and servant leadership, they turn that pyramid upside down after the vision set and the frontline people are there to serve you, you know, and they're eagles rather than ducks. And one of my favorite stories is, uh, this is before I met Colleen Barrett and Herb Kelleher, you know, I wrote a book with Colleen uh, called Lead with Love, and we can get into that down the road. But when I travel, I have this thing I put around my neck, and I call it my geezer pouch. You know, when you get older, you forget things. So my geezer pouch, I have my ticket, my itinerary, pen and pencil, you know, I go around the airport, what do you need? You know, if I got my passport, I'll have it in there. So one day I loaded my beauty and I left it on my desk at home and I'm pulling into the San Diego airport. And I realized I got no official identification and I didn't have time to go back home and get it. So the only book I've ever written, I got my picture on the covers. I wrote one with Don Shula, the old Miami Dolphins coach. Right coach and they took our picture in Miami Stadium. So I ran into the bookstore at the airport and I had a copy. So I bought it. And fortunately, the first airline I had to go was Southwest. And the, I'm checking a bag and the guy said, could I see your identification? I said, yeah, I apologize. I don't have a license or a passport, but how's this? And I held the book up and he looked at it and he shouts out, this man knows Don Shula. Put him in first class. I mean, they didn't have business select and all. They're hot <laughs> the street, you know. And there was an older guy there, and he said, you know, I know the security guards upstairs. I'll get you through there, which he did. It was just amazing. And then the next day, I had to go to another airline before they could get my license to me and all. And when I showed my book to the, the front guy, here, I'm t- the duck doo-doo started to fly. Quack, you better go to this ticket counter. And I showed the woman there my book, and she said, quack, you better talk to my supervisor. And we call the supervisory duck the head mallard, you know, because they, they just quack at a higher level, you know. Pretty soon I'm up, you know, talking to a guy in a suit and a tie. I'm up several levels of the hierarchy, and I'm starting to give him a hard time. Then I realized he's a bureaucrat, you know, and you got to be mm. bureaucrats, you know, because they have very tight underwear on and they kind of <laughs> waddle. So I changed my tune and I said, oh, I just so appreciate your consideration that you look at my particular case. And I went, you know, you know, I sucked up the hierarchy and he let me on the plane. But you have to go through these gyrations, you know, 
Mm. And when I finally met Colleen, who stepped in as president after her and told her that short story, she said, well, we really believe in letting our people bring their brains to work. You know, that guy out of the baggage claim, he didn't assume you would superimpose your picture on the cover of this book to get by him. The bigger deal is whether you got weapons, you know, and not that. And so why not, you know? And uh, so it's just, uh, it's a whole different thing. And that's when you're really getting everybody into customer service. Yeah, yeah. You've told the ducks and eagle stories a few times in previous conversations, uh, you know, floating around on the web and it never gets old. So I'm glad that you brought that up on this podcast. Um, Ken, speaking of Colleen, and uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, Southwest. So I want to transition to servant leadership, uh, a topic that is dear to both you and me. By your estimation, why is servant leadership such a great way to lead and motivate and inspire others. Well, it's interesting. You know, when I tell people about servant leadership, their initial reaction, if they don't know much about it, is that it's about the inmates running the prison or trying to please everybody. And they don't understand there's two parts of servant leadership. The leadership part is about vision and direction and values and goals because leadership is about going somewhere. And the responsibility of that goes with the hierarchy. It doesn't mean you don't involve people. But if your people don't know what their responsibilities are, they don't know what your values are at all, shame on you because that's your responsibility to make sure they have it. Now, once they have it, that's the leadership part of servant leadership. Now you move to the servant part. And now philosophically, you turn the pyramid upside down. So you work for your people who work for their people who eventually work for the customers, you know, and when you do that, now you're really serving them. It's not about you. It's about them. And, you know, Robert Greenleaf, who was considered the modern father of servant leadership, said you need to serve first and and lead second, you know, in a way that people really feel empowered and feel important. Mm. So mentioning uh, Colleen Barris, let's bring her, her up. So you wrote the book with Colleen. It was called Lead with Love. And Colleen, by the way, for those of you listening, she's the former CEO of Southwest Airlines. So you said something in the book that I always attribute to you. Well, it's obviously because it's your quote. (laughs) But you told Colleen, servant leadership is love in action. And boy, I hammered that quote down in so many articles I've written. And, And so the question is, does love truly belong in business or the workplace? Well, it's really interesting. When my wife and I started our company, this is our 40th anniversary this year, and only about 5% of the companies that start ever make it to there. We started our company on three principles. The first one was we wanted to work with people we loved and cared about. Secondly, we wanted to make a difference in the world. And third, we wanted to have fun. So love has been a really important aspect of us. And when we're talking about love, we're not talking about romantic love. We're talking about caring about your people, trusting your people, you know, thinking that they're really important because uh, when I got to meet Colleen, you know, and uh, we said lead with love and love is spelled in the title L-U-V because that's their symbol on Wall Street. And they've started on Love Field and they operate on Love Boulevard, you know, and all. And so love has been an important part of them. And the great companies like Southwest and, you know, Disney and Nordstrom's and Wegmans in the grocery business and Well, they think that their people are their number one customer. And they really feel if you love on, you care about, you train, you empower your people, 
then they will go out of their way to take care of your second most important customer, the people who use your products and services. And then they'll be blown away and become raving fans of your organization. They become part of your sales force. And then that leads to a profitable, well-run organization that you know, pleases the owners and all. Where we get in trouble is, you know, Wall Street kind of acts very often like the reason to be in business is to make money. And I've said for a long time that profit is the applause you get for creating a motivating environment for your people so they'll take care of your customer. And that's what, you know, servant leadership in action is love in action because yeah. it's really saying when you turn that pyramid upside down, you're saying, hey, I work for you. I care about you. I want you to win. And all. It's not about sitting around and judging and evaluating people, you know, and all that huffy and puffy stuff, you know. I mean, it's so absurd, you know, the companies that have a normal distribution curve, you know. And I'll, I'll get in front of them and I'll say, how many of you go out and hire losers? You know, you lost some of your worst people last year, you know. You need to have some new losers to fill the low slots, you know. And they all laugh because they don't. They either hire winners they steal from other companies or they hire people with potential that they need to train. So you're not hiring a normal distribution. And why would you want to screw a certain percentage of your people? And uh, I started doing that. I was a college professor for 10 years and I was always in trouble because the first day of class, I gave out the final examination. And the faculty would say, what are you doing that for? And I said, I thought we're supposed to teach these kids. You are, but don't give them the questions in the final. And I said, none of them are going to give them the questions in the final. What do you think I'm going to do all semester? I'm going to teach them the answers. So when they get the final exam, they get A. Life's about getting A's, not some stupid normal distribution uh, curve. You know, why wouldn't you want your people to accomplish their goals and win? And so uh, that's what's really, you know, servant leadership being love and action. You know, you're yeah. loving your people. You're loving your customers. You know, you're loving the business you're in. Let's dig just a little bit deeper for any listeners that are listening who are, say, in a management role. And it's still love and action. It seems vague. And so what would you say are some practical elements of how do you display love and action? And, of course, we're talking about love and action that leads to business outcomes, right? So what does that look like in the trenches? Well, you know, of all the things I've taught, people said to me, Blanchard, I'm going to take everything away but one thing what would I hold on to? I'd probably hold on to the second secret of the one minute manager. That the key to creating a great organization is to wander around and see if you can catch people doing things right and praise them and encourage them, you know? And so one of the best ways that you can show love is your encouragement and your praise and, and all that kind of thing. And that you're aware of what they're doing and all that kind of thing, you know? And I mean, like parents try to do with their kids, you know, I mean, you know, you wouldn't sort of sit around with a, divide my kids into a normal distribution curve. You know, you want them, want them well <laughs> if you can. So it's catching them doing things right. It's listening more than speaking, you know, asking more than telling, you know, it's just so, sort of those things where I'm here for you and what can I do to help you win? I think that's where the whole emphasis is. Mm. So this might get you back to the definition of, you know, you got the servant part and the leadership part and, there's a balance there. But for people that might say out loud, you know, hey, servant leadership is just too soft. It's too soft. It won't work for us. What's your response to that? Well, my response, I'm working on a book now called Duh, which is why isn't common sense common practice, you know? And so people say, well, 
Who uses servant leadership? Well, Oni Southwest, and they're the number one in the airline business. Nordstrom, they're number one in retail. Wegmans, number one in the grocery business. Disney and entertainment, you know, Sonovas and financial services, you know. I mean, all the leaders do it. And that's why I go, duh. I mean, why wouldn't you get with it, you know? And because they have leaders that it's not all about them, you know, I mean, because a lot of times you can't even name who's the leader of those companies, you know, and because yeah. it's not all about them. It's about their people and creating the environment where they're really excited about being there. And so it, it's, again, it's just common sense organized. You know, if you create an environment where you're cheering your people on, then they're going to cheer your customers on. And, and it just all seemed to kind of work. And that's why I'm, I always go, duh, you know, mm. why, why is it common sense, common practice? Yeah. So you mentioned all those great companies that lead through servant leadership. And there is so much research out there that we can dig up for another call that uh, talks about the evidence that links servant leadership to high performance. And yet it's prevalent to see so many leaders right on up to the C-suite lead by fear. Why do you think that people lead by fear instead of care and love? Well, you know, my feeling is that every time I've met a leader like that, they're scared little kids inside. They don't feel that good about themselves. It's really interesting. Biggest addiction you see in organizations is the human ego, which is, you know, kind of edging God out and putting yourself in the center. And there's two ways that people, their ego gets in the way. One is false pride. When they have a more than philosophy, I'm brighter than, I'm smarter than these idiots and all. And the other is fear or self-doubt where they have a less than philosophy. A lot of people, they would know that false pride was an ego issue, but they weren't so clear that self-doubt was. Well, well, when you're fearful and set doubtful, you're focusing on yourself. And so the anecdote for false pride is humility. You know, like Jim Collins, when he wrote Good to Great, they came out with the two characteristics of great leaders was resolve, determination to accomplish a goal and all, and humility. And Jim told me, he went to his researchers and said, humility can't be number two. Take a look. And they kept on coming back. And they said, you know, that is because a lot of people think humility is a weakness. But C.S. Lewis said it well years ago. He said, people with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less. And it's really interesting about false pride. If you read Thomas Harris's book years ago, I'm okay, you're okay. He said the worst life position was I'm okay, you're not. And that's the false pride. I'm smarter than that. But all the data showed that those people were really covering up not okay feelings about themselves. And so when I work with a manager who's a problem, I try to get them to understand that they're beautiful. God didn't make any junk. And let's look at what your strength areas are. And then how do you gather people around you who take some of the areas you're not as strong on and they can fill those void for you because, you know, if everybody on your team is just like you, there's a lot of people that aren't necessary. (laughs) So it's just a matter of just uh, understanding the the power of this whole thing. Hmm. So if I was to boil it down, would you say that humility is the key to changing fear-based workplaces to more love and caring workplaces? I, I think it is. And the way to overcome false fear or self-doubt is to trust the unconditional love that mm. we come into this world with. You know, I, See, I think we all come in, into the world from unconditional love, but we have amnesia when we get here. And so we're looking for unconditional love and we 
uh, what we do is we look for it in our parents. And uh, there's an interesting personal growth process called the Hoffman process. It's the most powerful personal growth experience I've ever had in Northern California. And they argue that if you looked at and learned about the first seven or eight years of your parents' life, they were not given unconditional love. Now, how are they going to end up giving it to you, you know? Yeah. And uh, so you really have to start to realize in your own that you're okay and uh, that God didn't make any junk. And, and that's really important. And, uh, but uh, humility is really an important part of that. You know, it's a strength, not a weakness to really uh, be that. And, you know, people say, if you say you're humble, you're not, you know, and so it's not something you brag about. It's just something you do because you really admire and, and are proud of the people around you and you keep on asking their opinions and, you know, you don't know all the answers. So interesting that a lot of people think if you don't know all the answers as a top manager, you're going to look like weak. And Colleen Barrett, when we worked together, she said that people admire your skills, but they love your vulnerability. Mm. You know, because if, if you can admit that you don't have all the answers and you need their help, why they go, wow, you know, I'm going to have a chance to contribute. They really feel great. You know, they don't say, what an idiot. How did he get the job? You ought to know everything. No, as he said, they admire your skills, but they love your vulnerability. And I think that's a powerful thing. Excellent. So, Ken, I want to transition to sort of the personal side of Ken Blanchard and just kind of get into your heart for a minute here. What's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like our listeners to know? Well, you know, I've said to people that if the legacy I'd like to leave is about servant leadership. And I just did this book recently called Servant Leadership in Action. And I went out and I got 44 of the key people in the field to say what they thought about servant leadership. In most readings books, the articles are too darn long. So I didn't want anybody to write more than six or seven pages. But I got people like Patrick Lencioni and Florence, uh, you know, uh, the gal that started the, the Girl Scouts and, and just, you know, Marshall Goldsmith and Simon Sinek and Brene Brown and, you know, just all kinds of people because, you know, the world is in such desperate need of a different leadership role model. We've seen what self-serving leaders can do in every sector of society. Look at Washington now. I mean, you can't blame any one party. It's just such a sad situation because it's all about self-serving leadership. They don't care about solving problems. They want to get reelected. They want their own opinion. It's a win-lose kind of uh, thing. And so that's really what I want people to remember is that leadership is not about you. It's about the people you're serving. And the, the more you learn that, and life is a special occasion when you realize that we're here to serve, not to be served. And my mother always said to me, she had this finger in mine, Benzel, and she'd say, now don't you act like you're better than anybody else, but don't you let anybody else act like they're better than you. God didn't make any junk. There's a pearl of goodness in every human being. Dig for it and you'll find it. And I really have found that to be true. And uh, so that as a leader, you want to bring out the best in people so that they're really excited about uh, work. You know, uh, the most fun in life is when you're confused about the difference between work and play. You know, I mean, you don't sort of say, oh, God, you know, it's Monday, you know. So, I mean, did you get up this morning? So, God, I got to do another interview, you know. (laughs) I mean, you know, I got up and said, whoa, I guess I'm supposed to go up and share and have some fun. And so it's a special occasion. So having said that, what is 
one thing you would like people to absolutely walk away from with today? I think the I've said it is the big thing is that leadership is not about you. It's about the people you're serving. And, and if you can get out of your own way, you're going to become a really great leader mm. because, uh, you know, the people out there want to be important and want to be contribute. And if you bring out the best in them, then they're going to bring out the best in you. It's just a, it's amazing, a win-win situation. If you take care of your people, they take care of you. And together you take care of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Ken, if people do a Google search on your name, they will land in a hundred different places. So what's the best place to connect with you? Well, we have a new website called KenBlanchardBooks.com. And and so I think it'd be fun for them to go there and you can look at categories, whether it's a customer service or influencing an individual or group or a team and all that kind of thing. And I have really had a lot of fun over the years. My mother used to say, why don't you write a book by yourself? Because as you said, I've written over 60, but I've only written two by myself. One on golf. So many people helped my golf game. I didn't know who to write it with. And the other one is my spiritual journey. I didn't think I could co-author that, but I right. learned so much from other people. So writing with Colleen, what a joy. And then I wrote a book with Truett Cathy, who founded Chick-fil-A and Jimmy Blanchard, who was the president of Sonova, so one of the best companies so often that uh, Fortune asked him to stop applying. And Gary Ridge, the president of WD-40, you know, has a 93% employee engagement score. You know, I mean, it's just, it's mm. just fun, you know. And so uh, I just love to learn from other people and see if I can take their ideas and make them come alive. So I'm anxious to hear what you're writing about you know, leadership is love in your book. I'd be happy to review it and give you some feedback and any thoughts I had. I would be honored if you did. He is Ken Blanchard, renowned author, consultant, and speaker. And we've been talking about the simple truths of service. And you can pick up your copy of this book by going to simpletruths.com or anywhere books are sold. And it's been an honor to uh, speak with you, sir. And I wish you all the best in all your endeavors, including that new book you're writing. Well, good. Thank you so much. It's, life is fun. Good to be with you. There's a dramatic shift taking place in workplaces around the world. It's a rapidly growing movement called the Humans First Club. Change is happening bigger and faster than any time in history. For business to flourish through this dynamic time, it's time to trash the old-school command-and-control mindset and put people at the center of business. It's time to put humans first. Live events with a growing online community is driving change throughout the globe. It's time for your voice, your ideas for a brighter future. Join us now at humansfirst.club. That's humansfirst.club. Your time has come. You belong here. So as I will do on every episode, I have three takeaways from this chat that I want to share with you. Here's my first takeaway. The reason that customers become raving fans of your business. It's because of the employee experience and how leaders take care of their people. That's where it starts. Frontline employees that work for a server leadership company, you know, where the organizational pyramid is turned upside down, the management serves the frontline people first. And the frontline people give customers a great experience. It's empowering those frontline workers to <laughs> use their brains to make decisions to please the customer. 
But to do that, you've got to flip the pyramid upside down. Because in top-down command and control pyramids, it's the boss that makes all the decisions. So employees on the front line, they don't have a say or they simply operate out of fear. My second takeaway, how to frame the word love in a way that makes business sense. So love is not some squishy, romantic kind of love. It's about caring about your people, trusting your people, and seeing them as real and as important as you, the leader. That's why in companies like Southwest Airlines, Disney, Nordstrom, and Wegmans Groceries, these companies, they see their people as the number one customer. So when you love on, care about, develop, respect, and empower your people, they're going to go out of their way to take care of your second most important customer, the people that purchased your products and services. Now, that's love in action, and that's what leads to a profitable and well-run company. Here's my last takeaway. The key to creating a great organization, Ken said, is to walk around and see if you can catch people doing things right. Imagine that. So unlike most bosses that want to walk around and catch people doing things wrong so they can reprimand them or correct them, Ken says, catch people doing something right so you can praise them, encourage them, and celebrate right behaviors so that you're reinforcing those things and those values and those behaviors systemically. And in Ken's own words, this is how a leader can show unconditional love. I find that amazing. And here's my final statement. It's short and sweet, and it comes from the mouth of Ken Blanchard. Remember this, leadership is not about you. It's about the people you're serving. I want to thank Ken Blanchard for such a great down-to-earth conversation and that's so full of insight. And I want to thank you, my listeners, for joining in and believing in the power of love in action. If you like this podcast, I encourage you to please subscribe to it and leave me a rating. So on behalf of my talented team at One Stone Creative, who make me sound so good on each and every podcast, thank you, ladies. See you next week when I'm joined by Howard Behar, former president of Starbucks North America. We're going to be talking about his recent book, The Magic Cup, and what Howard thinks of love in action. See you next time. Thanks for joining us on the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed this show and want to help get the word out, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.